Welcome to the latest installment of the Sharp Best Ball Show. I'm your host, Todd Burrows. You can find me on Twitter at BestBallNFL. And remember, best ball is life. And I can't think of a better person in the best ball life to do a show with than my guest, Justin Herzig, at Justin Herzig on Twitter. Justin was the winner of BB1. And he has been on the cutting edge uh, pretty much all along. We've had some great pods in the past, and I'm really looking forward to picking your brain again today, Justin. How are you? I'm doing well. I appreciate it. Always great to talk to you. Yeah, each year, we usually have some good conversations, and uh, it seems just as much as this game evolves, our conversations kind of follow along. Uh, so I always look forward to this, and thanks for having me. Yeah. And and part of the reason for that is you and I are both on team. You got to adjust to what the board is now, right? A lot of people study the past and then they want to use it as a template. And, you know, last year, first of all, if you ran last year a hundred times, you know, th- what happened at the end of last year might not happen again, never mind if the board changes. So, uh, you know, that's what I love so much about best ball, Justin it's much less of a puzzle that you can figure out than DFS. Would you agree? Yeah, very much. And I mean, right now, the um, you know the hot thing is to take a look at the last three years of data and try to form some conclusions. But even then, it's still overall, it's just three seasons. And each of those seasons has uh, unique trends, I would say, that uh, maybe kind of differ than what we're seeing today. So while that data and what we can learn from the past is very helpful, um, it's also, as you mentioned, very important to kind of take that data and think about, okay, how does it apply to this year? Now that we have three elite tight ends going in the second round, how do we adapt? Do we have a dead zone this year for running backs? Is there potentially one for wide receivers? And thinking about how we can kind of take those larger data sample sizes from the previous years, but apply it for this year's learnings. Yeah, at the end, I've got uh, an idea that's been tickling around in my head. Um, I'm going to call it modified Justin Herzig. Um, And I I, want to get your thoughts on that because uh, the board is very interesting this year. And the last thing I'll say is just also due to the nature of the one week, one week, one week finals, right? That also makes it, you know, we're so results oriented of what worked, you know, uh, one thing I liked about your partner at over at ETR, Mike uh, Leone's Best Ball Manifesto, was that he took all 17 weeks as if they were week 17 to 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 try and at least get a little bit better sample size. So that is um, something that we also have to consider when we consider uh, what we're studying from last year. Now, you recently put out a new article called On the Clock where you prioritize what to be thinking in order of importance when drafting. Can you explain to me the steps that you laid out in this article and why that you have them in the order that you do? Yeah. So at a high level, I mean, I think uh, the, the really, I don't know, the background kind of the, the desire for where this came from was when week 17 uh, was announced, you know, that was really the topic and it was, okay, well now how important really is week 17 and so we were talking in the Slack channels. I think it was me, Leone, and Adam Levitan. Um, and there were just differing views about like how important it is. And to be honest, Adam was a bit tilted about how crazily impactful people were taking it. And uh, so we came down to like, hey, here's what I believe to be the most important things that you surely should be focusing on on the clock. 
And at the end of the day, yes, week 17 is still very important. We can get into why that is based off the tournament structure and stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, there's still a lot of the things we need to be focusing on. And so as I think through that pyramid, it's my kind of process for, hey, the most beginner who is just learning how to play best ball or some of the most experienced people, it should still be kind of incorporated into your process. And so if we look through the different levels, for example, at the bottom of that pyramid is the roster construction. At the end of the day, we need to really stay within these basic parameters. It's probably honestly more important to not screw up the roster construction than it is to make sure that you're getting it perfectly correct. Across my portfolio, I'm going to have a wide range, but what I'm making sure is that I'm not going to be doing just solo QB or solo tight end. I'm not going to be doing 10 plus wide receivers or getting outside. Guardrails is what I call them. Guardrails is a great one as well. Right, exactly. And so that, okay. Yes, week 17, we know is important. We're eventually going to get there. But if you're correlating to take you outside of, as you mentioned, those guardrails, that becomes a problem. Uh, I'll quickly go through these because I don't want to spend too much time because people look at the article. But second and, and one. I've got, and I've got backup questions on each one, too. I just Perfect. wanted to okay. give you the, 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 the floor. Yeah, so at a high level, people can take a look and we can go through them. But um, yeah, this allows you to kind of think through its roster construction, its stacking, its ADP, it's your player takes your ranks, it's the actual positional capital when you're drafting the positions and when, and week 17. And so across an entire draft, when you're on the clock, based off what your lineup already looks like, what you're trying to build for that tournament, for that kind of what-if scenarios, it's important to take all of these into account. And I think only, you know, not in any kind of linear process where it's this, 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 but it's, hey, maybe there's different weights. These are very important. And week 17 definitely plays a major role. You mentioned stacking is the second most important after basic roster construction. We did with TJ Hernandez. Uh, people can check an episode on basic roster construction and a lot of the thoughts that go into it. Um but you also mentioned that stacking has become kind of like table stakes. In other words, that so many people are doing it. So with that in mind, break the draft into four parts, right? R rounds one to four, rounds five to eight, rounds nine to 13, and let's say round 14 to 18. And, and say how roughly, how much are you willing to reach in each of those four areas of the draft? to get a stack because uh, I, I, and I know that it, it depends on a lot of factors, but let's just set the table with kind of your general thought process of how much value you're willing to give up to make sure that you're stacked. Yeah. And, and let's make it known. I mean, if you look at the pyramid, the next le level is ADP. And so while stacking, I still think is very important because I think stacking is one of those where, Otherwise, not counting a trade, like you know that that QB and those wide receivers are going to be together across the season, across the playoffs, and there's highly they're highly correlated both in the regular season to help your advance rate as well as in the playoffs. ADP, there's two forms of ADP here. There's real-time ADP, where if you're picking a player six spots after you're losing ADP value there, there's also closing line ADP, where you may be drafting a player six spots after their current ADP, but, uh, or sorry, before, uh, but the line's going to close as the season goes on, and maybe you actually get closing line value. So I think both those are worth you know thinking about when you're drafting. With regards to your question, I'm um, stacking. How much is too much? Um, 
at the most basic level, I would say like, hey, the earlier in the draft, the less I'm willing to reach, probably no more than maybe in that first quadrant, six picks at most, probably more like that four to six range. Uh, once you start getting into the second quadrant, maybe that range moves to like four to eight picks, still staying within a round. Um, when you get to the third quadrant, I'd still probably wouldn't want to reach more than a round, probably more than 10 or so picks. And when I get to the back of the draft, the difference between a 15th round and an 18th round really doesn't matter that from a projection standpoint and the likelihood of those players hitting. Uh, so I'm not going to draft my 18th rounder in the 15th, but I have no problem drafting my 18th rounder in the 16th or the 17th if it completes my stack, if it fits in the rest of my structure. Awesome. I, um, I, I'm in line with that pretty much. And a simple rule that I use is, you know, what's the chance that my stack might make it back to me, right? You know, and sometimes, you know, you have a 50-50, you know, so that's one of the things I consider when, uh, and, and the, but the big one is, is there anyone that I'm passing on that I think I could live to regret, right? It's a, it's, it's a very, and it, again, the earlier in the draft, I'm also thinking about setting up the late parts of my draft. And I'm thinking, you know, is it, is it going to be catastrophic if I miss this? In other words, like if I have Jamar Chase in the first and I pass on Joe Burrow in the third, because to me, that's too early for him. And, you know, I come back mid mid fourth. Now, I might, you know, I might have him, uh, you know, another five, six picks there. But at that point, I'm going to take a guy like Joe Burrow. Um, so I guess I'm not saying this very well, but it is very situationally important to analyze as quickly as you can before you get on the clock, correct? Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And so I think a decent example right now for this year is the Dolphins. Tyreek goes around fifth, fifth overall. Waddle goes around 20th overall. And those are in line. You can take the fifth and the 20th and you take Tyreek and Waddle. Okay, now we get to a little later. I think it's around the eighth round. You have picked 92. Waddle's ADP is right around there. Maybe it's 94 or something, but around you mean that. Tua. Sorry, yeah, Tua. Um, historically, my thought was, hey, if there's a player I really like, I'm kind of okay waiting on Waddle because the chance of someone in the other, you know, those, what is it, four picks uh, at the turn, um, the four picks back and the four picks back are unlikely to take him because I have both the Dolphins that have already been drafted. So it's unlikely Tua is going to get reached for there. I'll say I've kind of changed my thinking in that a little because I believe these stacks are so important that I am willing to say I want to make sure that I lock in that Tua at 92 rather than missing out on that maybe eight picks of value whoever that player is. And that's just kind of uh, something I've kind of changed or shifted towards more this year uh, because of the importance of hey, these stacks from a correlation from the advanced rate and those regular season prizes, as well as if you're in the playoffs and you have Tyreek and Waddle and those two are the guys you need in the playoffs, it's highly likely that two is going to be um, a major piece of that. Now, if I somehow had, if you've got a rushing QB, if you drafted someone else who already has upside, maybe then we then change the levers a bit. And now it's okay. I'm comfortable in the Lamar that I also grabbed value on early on. I'm going to wait on Tua a bit because if I miss out on him, I think Lamar in a one week can still surpass or at least match Tua. Um, th those are kind of the, the thought process for um, how much you wait where you decide to go for it. 
Yeah, you've come a lot closer to where I've been. I was willing to reach a little more for the quarterback part of the stack, especially in situations like that where I have both, right? Um, if I only have one of the two, then I'm more likely to wait depending on – so I'm also looking at the rest of my uh, wide receivers. You know, do I have another quarterback already? Do I have – well, you wouldn't have Garrett Wilson. But, you know, let's say I got a good wide receiver in the third round and that quarterback was – you know, if I if I do get sniped on Tua, is there another way for me to get a good stack? Um, you know, so those are the kinds of thoughts that rummage through my brain. Now, Mike Leone's manifesto included how many to stack. When you talk about how many in your article, um, I think it was six to nine uh, or something like that, you are talking, correct, about between all your quarterbacks. Um, you from want, a stack, you, from, I think I was talking more from a positional standpoint for wide receivers may have been like six to nine or something like that. I think from a stacking angle, I think Leone showed that you want one to three pass catchers stacked with each of your quarterbacks. Um, that does not include running back. Running back can fit in there too. Um, I think from a data wise, that makes sense. It's also a wide range. For me personally, I'm a little less tied to the actual raw number and more on draft capital and how and where I drafted those players. So for example, if I'm drafting, hey, two early wide receivers, the Tyreek, the Tua, um, and that, I mean, that the high rate, the waddle, and I get Tua, I'm okay with saying, hey, I'm just grabbing those two. I'm not reaching on Durham Smythe or trying to find who that other Miami wide receiver is later on. However, if I draft Daniel Jones, and now I'm trying to hit on all these Giants wide receivers that are going in rounds like 13 beyond, I'm okay with grabbing three or four. Maybe I grab Hodgins, Hyatt, Wandale, even Slayton in the 18th. Now, yes, his research shows that you shouldn't stack more than three of them. But in that scenario, I'm reaching for, I mean, I'm not reaching, I'm planning for low draft capital expended to this stack if the if it passes out. If Daniel Jones actually is highly efficient, a couple of these guys are going to spike. And compared to early draft capital for late guys, it's actually a lot less capital than two early ones. Yeah, and I'm less likely to reach for extra guys if it's a running quarterback because I want to figure in the fact that the the quarterback might get there uh, on certain important weeks without bringing one guy with him. So taking three or four, you know, I'm going to be personally, and I don't think it's right or wrong. I think there's a salt and pepper. You know, some people like a little more, some a little less. Once you get past the one to three. Um, so... Uh, you have ADP, ADP value behind stacking. For me, they're almost interchangeable based on the players available, the amount of the discount on that player, and whether I think I can gain stacks later. Do you subscribe to a similar philosophy? Uh, in other words, like not all discounts are the same. Um, and I'll uh, I might show later one example where I was getting a, a, a 10, 12, pick advantage on a running back or reaching eight to 10 picks for the quarterback uh, for the wide receiver for my stack. I took the running back and I was lucky enough to get the wide receiver coming back. Um, your thoughts on how that all plays together, um, you know, ADP value versus stacking, because to me, even though you had stacking above ADP in my brain, they're pretty darn close. 
Yeah, I, mean, I think they're close, but I think for me, stacking, you can have a little more confidence um, in, hey, I'm going uh, getting this player. Maybe I'm also picking up some closing line value by drafting this player because I, you know, hey, bullish on them. And then also there's just such high correlation across the season that stacking to me is a bit more important. But again, and that's why when we talked about how much are you willing to reach for your stack, we're literally talking about I'm willing to give up ADP to get my stack. And so when we already accept that I'm willing to give up some ADP, and we talked about four, six, 10 picks, whatever, we're doing that for the stack. That tells me at least that I'm valuing the stack a little more than just the rigid AP, ADP aspect. Yeah, and, and I agree with that. That that makes total sense to me. Um, I was not alluding otherwise. Uh, next up is player takes. I have found that this was an area that I needed improving on. Besides watching a lot more tape, which you know I, I'm okay with, especially at running back, I've added Matt Harmon's reception perception. I, I, I'm, I'm reading up on as much as I can, um, and I'm trying to have my takes challenged. Explain your thoughts and what you do to make your takes as good as possible, as it's so easy to go from this is my take to a, a negative bias if we're not careful. Yeah, I mean, I, I think of the people that are actually drafting in these tournaments, I'd say maybe one to two percent of people actually have consistent, actionable, like value add takes from you know that they can add to it, whether it's film watching or whatever. Um, if you have that, you know that's your skill set. Awesome, use it. No question. At the end of the day, if you're able to identify the player that's a major value. That's honestly more important than just about anything else. Because if you would have known Josh Jacobs was going to do what he did last year, you honestly could have screwed up your roster construction by drafting four tight ends. But if you would have just hammered Josh Jacobs, you were probably advancing a strong, substantial amount of your teams. The challenge is that's the most difficult part of best ball is to actually project those situations. So what I think is to start off is you take kind of the, hey, how do we get to 80% of the way there? You do that very easily. And you just make sure that you are, subscribing to a site that has rankings, uploading rankings on a consistent basis throughout the summer, and you're not drafting just off ADP. Who you, I'm, I'm with Establish the Run. Obviously, I think they have some of the best, if not the best rankings out there. Um, and we put a lot of work into that. And so we know like, hey, we're updating that very regularly, keeping track of the news. That'll just get you 80% of the way there. And I think that's where from a pyramid standpoint, like I wanted to at least conclude that like, hey, there is this player rank aspect that maybe this is a great way to actually get some closing line value from an ADP, but maybe it's also a great way to actually be able to project players from a success standpoint, and that's very valuable. Um, so I think that gets you there. From a next is, okay, you want to actually try to get into that 1% to 2%. I think the best way is to learn from others, as you said, like how do you test your convictions? Um, and it's throughout the summer, like we're not watching football. We're not grinding tape. Maybe you think you're, maybe you're grinding tape from rookies. Maybe you think you saw something last year. That's fine. But so much of it also has to do with more so, Hey, what is the news with regards to injuries? What is the news with regards to actual playing time usage? Maybe you're seeing reports from the coaches and stuff like Josh Norris over at underdog does a fantastic job right after the draft of actually listening to the coaches in their interviews, because that's one of the most honest time that coaches are. They're literally just beaming with just excitement about these guys they drafted and that's probably you know an honest way for them to figure out what role they may or may not play those are the types of kind of nuggets that i think are important that might get you on hey who is going to be the number two to Ramondre this year watching the tape 
I don't know, maybe it helps you because you might see something. But if you're able to actually dive through the news, stay on top of things, and maybe you can come up with an idea or an example of why this player, based off whatever it is, is going to have that number two role, uh, that's where I think there is substantial value. Yeah, I, I think you're right. You know, I think you have to be good at it. And I think I would say it's more than one to two percent. But I think, you know, like me with wide receiver, I think Matt Harmon has a very statistical way of showing which wide receivers are able to get open. And oftentimes that can open up opportunity. Right. Um but I, I do think over a lot of drafts, you, you know, you're going to mix because you want to try and find, you know, I was thinking about this article uh, to write called Be the Optimizer, right? You know, we all know in DFS, the optimizer is going to put you in the best position if you give it the right information, the right questions. Uh, it's going to give you a really nice spread. I think, you know, having that mentality for best ball you know, be the optimizer and not just live on your takes is very important. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a great way to approach it. And um, I mean, I think the way that I'm understanding you with an optimizer standpoint is like, hey, this is taking a kind of balanced approach. It's probably adjusting your levels of risk while giving you some forms of upside across like your, you know, you know your GPP entries. Um, here, I think, Hey, if you do have a stand, like, so one of the things and probably one of the most common questions I get is Justin, like when you have a stand on a player, like how much is too much ownership? And uh, the way that I kind of always answer that is for me personally, if I ever get above 25% ownership of a player, that's when I start doing two things. One is I take a step back and I start thinking like, okay, why am I so high in this player compared to market? And I'll actually start asking other people in this industry, people at ETR, people on Twitter, just to get some other ideas like, what am I potentially missing? What am I not seeing? Why are other people lower? As a result of that, I'm either going to be like, okay, I get that. I learned that. Maybe I was missing that before. I'm going to course correct. Or I'm like, nope, I understand what your fear is. And I don't believe that. I see something else and I'm willing to go further in it. And in that second case, now what I'm going to do is look at when I'm drafting that player. And I'm probably now going to start drafting that player around later. I'm going to let them fall a bit because yes, my ownership of that 25%, that may drop down to around like 20, 15%, but I'm now getting that player at an extra round value that before maybe I was actually killing some of that value by drafting them a little earlier than the market actually wants you to. Um, and so that's how I kind of judge, you know, how I kind of uh, evaluate, you know, take my player takes into consideration, ensure that I'm not going too heavy, hammering too much above that 25% and still trying to get as much value as possible in a draft. Yeah, 25% is the exact number I have in my head to where warning flares go off. If, if for nothing else, the risk of injury, right? Even if I'm right on a player, he's got as much chance of having a career injury as anyone else. Um, and that's when I, I and I like how you course correct by going around later. Um, and I, I've also started doing that with guys I'm of five percent or less on. Right. If there's guys that I'm just always passing on, you know, going to people you trust and say, what am I missing? You know, am I missing something with this guy that I have zero of? Yeah, I've, I've got no problem with that kind of from that first step. I will push back for me, at least. I have no problem being 0% on a player. It happens all the time. And I mean, and maybe it's just my personal take standpoint, but it is more often than not accurate. And I think it's a lot easier in this game to 
find a fade and accurately project that fade, stay away from that player than it is to someone say like, hey, I am extremely confident that this player is undervalued and a hammer. Um, And so like for me last year, my biggest example was Justin Herbert. I ended up with 0% of him in my best ball menu, one out of 150 of my lineups. Um, And my reasoning was not so much that like, hey, in this play, you know, in the team or anything, or even like, yes, there was a decent amount where Justin Herbert doesn't have the rushing ability. He needs to have an extremely highly efficient uh, um, season in there, blah, blah, blah. But the players around him were also the Jalen Hurts and Lamar Jackson. So when you were just comparing those two players, I felt strongly that the range of outcomes and the likelihood of hitting those was far more in favor in the Lamar and the Jalen Hurts than Justin Herbert. So I ended up with, I think the only one that I took him was like a two round value and it ended up being a stack. But for the most part, that was my fade. And I'm confident in taking those type of stances far more than going 30 plus percent on a player. I agree. And, and I, I've just been burned a couple times. So that's why I was saying I start wanting to analyze if I'm, if I'm that yeah. low now, in the first two rounds, I've got a pretty hard rule of four to five percent because we do, you know, first of all, they're there for a reason, right? You you don't you you know you're not a first or second round pick if you know you don't have a lot of talent, a decent and good opportunity. Um, that being said, you know, if I feel someone has been hyped too much, like Antonio Gibson a few years ago or Ceh, I might have like one or two percent, you know, just enough to. And like and like you said, when they um, when they fall a little bit, but um, in the eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh round, yeah, I end up with a, a bunch of guys that I don't have anything of. Right. Uh, I don't and, think and that the, I don't I don't think that's a problem. And the best way to actually those players that you're just not drafting enough of, or I mean, or barely any of, the times that you should be drafting them, are the times that all these other rules that we have come into play where there's probably correlation with your actual team. Maybe it's a pass catcher. I'm not going to be drafting like barely any Odell Beckham. But give me a scenario where I grabbed Lamar. I have Odell Beckham at two rounds of value. I need a wide receiver. Sure, I'm going to take him there, even though that is probably still substantially higher than where I think he is from a ranks and where he should be. But in that scenario, I'm willing to say, you know what? The stack, the ADP value, the position of need, far outweighs my ranking on that player and I'm willing to take him. And so Justin Herbert was a little more challenging last year because you know, he was pretty much going before his stack partner. So it's not like there was a substantial correlation I was looking for or anything there. Um, but other players that we think of that you mentioned and in the second round, first round that seems still plays Dallas Detroit is the big one right now. You may not love CD lamb or you may not love ASB, but if you draft one of those in the 12 spot, it's probably likely you should be taking the other one in the 13 spot because they have the week 17 correlation starting off as a wide receiver, wide receiver build is pretty strong this year. Even if you don't love those players individually, there's enough of other reasons from a roster construction, positional allocation from a week 17 correlation that it may make sense to kind of stack those two together. Yeah. And I agree with that. Like right now, uh, Devante Adams and Jonathan Taylor is a, you know, I mean, but that being said, I, you know, if I'm doing 150, I don't want every Devonte Adams to have Jonathan Taylor and vice versa, but I have no problem with like 60% or 70% of my Devonte Adams having that correlation. And, you know, because I also am open to the idea that there's going to be somebody else 
on the Colts who might need. Pittman goes in the fourth, fifth round. So I, I, that's what I mean by kind of be the optimizer. Um, I want it, but it's not like every time. Right. Um, I, I, think, some- I, I think thinking of things from a time box is also important too, because you mentioned like you're okay with having 60%, but you don't want to have 100% across 150. That doesn't mean right now in my drafts, I need to aim for 60% because you know what? By August, maybe that stack's not actually available anymore. So maybe you have 100% through your first 50 of them. But then by the end of the season, you actually only add on another 10 or 20 of them, and you really only end up with 40% or so. And so that allows us to kind of, as we draft throughout the entire summer, uh, think about like, okay, in this period, I think the you know ADPs are likely going to change. I'm going to take advantage of it now. If come August, they haven't changed, it's still available. You can always then, again, course correct. You can always kind of learn there. It's like, okay, I don't want to keep having only the Pittman and I mean, only the JT and the Devante. Maybe I want to go Devante and Jacobs and then I'll grab Pittman later. Yep. Uh, uh, Again, very, very well said. Uh, Next up is positional capital. This to me has been the biggest edge uh, available out there as well. I think ADP by the position tends to be very efficient. I think we've seen, you know, different position groups go earlier or later than they should. Is this how you see it? And any other thoughts from this from your article? Yeah, I think it's very well said with regards to within a position, the ADP is probably fairly efficient. Um, But the challenge has been within the past three seasons is where should these positions being drafted? And uh, the learnings each year have been directing the future year's ADP and as year over year, we see wide receivers keep moving up the board. Um, and so what last I mean, three years ago, the RB dead zone was like the third and fourth round. Um, but the thing is, those running backs are in the third and fourth round two years later last year are the Josh Jacobs that are now being drafted in the eighth round. And like, I believe this year that they're not, there isn't actually an RB dead zone. And what I mean by that is, At any point in the draft, if you need an RB, I think there was a fair RB available at that ADP that may be worth taking. This doesn't mean you should be loading up at each round, but if you you need a positional allocation for that, I think RB is fine. I honestly think there's more of a wide receiver dead zone this year, and that starts around pick 90 and extends to around 140. I'm not saying I'm not going to draft in there, especially if there's some stack. But those, that's the area that right now at the current ADP, I actually prefer all the other positions. Um, how this all plays in with that positional allocation is the more that you draft, you'll start getting the feels based off your player takes and your ranks and who you like, who you don't like. Um, but you'll get a feel for where should I be drafting in each of these. And so in my mind, if I'm like, okay, pick 90 to 140 is the wide receiver dead zone. I really want to try to get four or five, maybe even six wide receivers before that. That means in my first seven rounds this year, I really need to go heavy on the wide receivers. Or maybe it's okay, I'm going to go four or five here, and then I'm going to go heavy at the end of 140 because that's where I actually start signing for more uh, some more wide receiver values. This is the type of positional allocation that you should be thinking about uh, for, um, for, for when you're drafting. One note here is, there is some great research and you can look at Leone's manifesto around positional allocation for past years. But I do caution that all of that is, you know, that is reflective of the previous year's data. That is not predictive so much. 
it is somewhat predictive, but I would not say it is wholly predictive because of how much different trends happen. ADPs are changing. The running backs that they used to go are going various differently. Uh, and those are the things you need to kind of learn from the previous years, but adapt into the current year. Yeah. Uh, conversation on Twitter uh, today uh, kind of points that out. Last year, I had the 64th highest team uh, during the regular season. It was a mahomes burrow stack. I waited on both of them. I got Mahomes late fourth. Uh, even though I had Kelsey, I passed on him in the third, and I got him in the fourth, and I had Burrow in the eighth, right? People were, argue, uh, were arguing because someone had taken Mahomes in the second and Burrow in either the third or the fourth, and I said, that's a huge difference. You know, last year, you know, that that's a huge difference. And I think you really have to account for that when you're doing this if you want to uh, have decent roster construction, Justin. Yeah, com completely agree. I mean, even Patrick Mahomes last year, I feel like there was a period where he was going in like the fourth, if not fifth round. Um, he went He yeah. went there. I think his average ADP was the fourth, uh, you know, mid, early to mid fourth um, in this one draft that I got him late fourth. Yeah. And so, yeah, if you're doing a fourth and an eighth on those quarterbacks, which now, I mean, hey, if you look at their past points, like they should have probably been a second and a fourth, but you're not giving up the second rounder and the fourth rounder. I mean, you're giving up the fourth and the eighth. Major difference there. Um, but again, apply it to this year. And even if you compare like the elite QBs that are going this year, the players that you are giving up at the same time are running backs that have top three running back upside are wide receivers that are in that, like I'd say hey, second or third tier of like elite wide receivers. These QBs are great. They're projecting for more points than we've really seen from a top three in QB history, but um, there's opportunity cost. I went back and studied the last two years by round points per round. Um, I took out people who were injured, you know, for most of the season, and it, and I, and it was done by points per game, right? And second and third round are pretty flat the last couple of years, uh, but you know, last year Josh Jacobs really kind of tilted the world, being you know, and Debo the year before in the eighth round. If we get a year where the second and third round players really pay off their ADP. You're going to be able to, if you can, if you can target good quarterbacks later who can maybe not be a top three guy, but could be a fourth or fifth best QB on the year. You can easily make up that uh, what you're giving up with the top guys. Yeah. And obviously it depends on the different site you're playing as well um, on underdog, the quarterback points, touchdown based uh, half PPR, um, no bonuses, the QB's points are a lot greater percentage of your team's lineups than if you're playing on a site like DraftKings where um, you have the PPR, you have the bonuses and such. And in that system, oh, and there's 20 rounds, so it's more feasible to maybe draft three mid or late QBs. Uh, so think about, the, think about the site you're playing on, what those rules are, what you're trying to optimize for, um, varying levels of importance of you know, QB. Yeah. And uh, a simple last question on this subject. Um, how much Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, and um, Patrick Mahomes do you have right now? Um, I'm under. I'm underweight on all three. Yeah, I would say uh, I'll start off by saying I have, from what I know, zero of unsacked with those three. 
meaning I am definitely not going to be reaching on Mahomes if I don't have Kelsey, Hurts, if I don't have A.J. Brown, Josh Allen, if I don't have Diggs. Um, but if I do grab, grab, grab those players, I am willing to draft those guys. Um, but, like, I don't have many of them. And uh, some of that ties in as well. Like, I have A.J. Brown ranked a little lower than some other wide receivers. I do, too. Um, Diggs, I think I have Diggs at ADP. Um, and then Kelsey, I have a little lower because I'm drafting Cooper Cup um, above him. Um, maybe even Tyree Kill, depending on the site. I'm not sure. I, I, I am, too. <laughs> and Yeah. And so if I'm fading, if not fading, but if I'm just a little lower in those first guys, that's by result going to make me lower in the second QBs. And I'm perfectly okay with that. There are other QBs that I really like. And I think as the year, as the offseason goes on, as the summer goes on, uh, it'll be interesting to see where those QBs fall to. I think there's a decent chance that Josh Allen ends up being uh, in that kind of early third area and uh, Jalen Hurts maybe as well. Yeah, I, I, I've started taking some Lamar because at the end of the third round, I, I've, I've got a dead zone in value there. Um, I, I also, def, you know, Justin Fields, if you took out those first five games before they unleashed him, um, his numbers equal the other guys in that in the last 10 games. And that's with him being injured at the end. Um, I'm also high on Watson and Dak uh, because I think those guys have the weapons and, and, and the offenses could be good enough uh, to try, hopefully get you close enough if you're, you know. And those guys have value is slipped. Dak, you can get Dak in the 10th round now sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, so for me, from a Justin Fields, Lamar standpoint, um, I agree with you. If Lamar is going after the Ramondre Brees Hall and like before the ETN, like I'm okay with taking him because I think that really becomes like such a dead zone in that fourth round um, that I don't mind the Lamar for me with Fields, I think the challenge is, is just, he's being drafted um, at Lamar too, like at their upside, because even if you take Lamar's situation, when Lamar was really clicking, started last year so well, I think it was multiple games of three-plus TDs, he was still averaging around three and a half points fewer than what the Elite Three averaged on the season. And now we're drafting him at six, eight picks past those Elite QBs. Like, if I'm going for QB, it may make sense then to at least spend a little higher and grab one of those three Elite than where Lamar is current going. Fields then becomes an issue where, like, yes, if he hits his upside, he's there. But again, you're now drafting him about a round after those elite ones, maybe about 14, 16 picks. But there is so much more substantial risk just because he can only, from what we've seen, do it on the ground. And if he puts it all together, what are you gaining in value? Maybe a half a round or so. Um, so I'm a little lower right now on the Lamar on the fields. Um, but um, yeah, we'll see. I, I, I like those other guys that you were referencing, uh, yeah. the Dak, Daniel Jones, Deshaun, that group. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I did this thing where I studied um, points per week and um, I literally went and, 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 and who gave you a usable week, right? And, and then, you know, so like if the quarterback, the top 12, but then I would subtract one point just to give a little range, uh, you know, below the 12. Uh, if you take out those five weeks that Justin Field, the first five weeks before they let him loose, he average he 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 gave you a usable week ninety percent of the time. Hertz was ninety three, Allen was ninety three, and Mahomes was a hundred points above. So you take that low number and then you average the points per week 
uh, above that, I have uh, Mahomes at 9-3, Fields at 9-3, Hertz at 9-1, and Josh Allen at 8-9. Um, after that, it dropped to Burrow at 6-6 and uh, Lamar at 5-6. Those are points they're giving you above minimum on a weekly basis. So uh, it's okay to disagree, but that's, I'm just explaining to you why I'm a little higher on Fields than some of the other experts. Um yeah. So, so what, what I'm hearing from you is, though, that if they play out the way that he played the second half or the, you know, the two-thirds of the season, you have him right at the same tier as those three elite ones. Uh, oh, just slightly behind because there is risk, right? Um, you know, it's mostly a running projection. But you, then you also look, and they've improved the running backs. They've improved the offensive line. They've improved the receivers. Um, I, I think he can get there in a little bit more ways. And what I also like about him is he is easy to stack later. I don't take him with DJ Moore much unless Moore falls, but I like Claypool in the 18th round. I think Claypool is a very interesting upside guy that late. Um, yeah. anyway, and I think Fields can get there without stacking. Uh, we, we covered week 17 last week. Last year, I was also correlating week 16. Um, but on underdog with back-to-back -back one in 16 chances of advances this year, I'm just going all in on week 17. I, I just think that when you're drafting, it's too much to try and build for 15 and 16. I, I want, I want that one team that gets through to be loaded for bear. Uh, do you agree with that tactic? Yeah. The, I've only ever been teams, hashtag team 17, week 17, um, the math just proves out that it is far, far, far more valuable to optimize for week 17 than any of the previous playoff weeks. Um, so like, sure, if you absolutely want to as make it the final tiebreaker of a week 16 matchup, go for it. Uh, but for me, it is far more important just to kind of focus on, hey, those other things that we need to think about in the draft and then week 17 correlation. Yep, and and your article laid it right. out really, really right. well. The very I, I, I'll, I'll say I'll say this one thing: it's not a matchup wise, but I have taken into account like playoff schedule, which probably more blends week 15, 16, and seventeen from a weather standpoint, from a defensive standpoint, from a over under on what that expected game total is, likelihood of shootouts. And so, for me personally, I've blended that all into kind of one ranking format. So maybe you can argue that this is still kind of trying to optimize a bit for week 15 and 16 because we're thinking the whole playoffs, but I'm not doing it from a correlation stack aspect. Makes sense to me. Uh, the very nature of the underdog contest this year has changed in Best Ball Mania 4 with one third of the prizes, regular season prizes. Has this increased or decreased your enthusiasm for the contest? And how has this key change affected how you're going to play BBM4, if at all? Yeah, I mean, I like it overall. I like the kind of innovation. I like uh, that it's not just the, hey, one payout to the top. Um, I think, you know, overall, I'm excited for the BBM4. I think my only probably criticism is that I'd like to be a little less top heavy from a payout standpoint, particularly in week 17. Uh, but like from a business wise, completely understand it. And uh, it's not going to change how many I enter or my overall thoughts on the contest uh, from a strategic standpoint and what I'm drafting for. Um, I wouldn't say it's like, okay, now I'm going to shift things majorly because advance rate is still so important in your overall expected value and ROI of your teams. 
uh, then I'm still playing for those. And when I'm building for advance rate standpoints, I'm still thinking about, okay, what can I do that gets me a uh, top, you know, top 1%, top 10%, top 1% kind of lineup. The overall process is very similar. Um, the things that you could do to optimize for a regular season that, you know, kind of goes uh, against the playoffs aspect is maybe like you're not willing to go with a gym, you know, you, you fade someone like a Jamison Williams, you fade someone like a Kyler with the injury aspect. Uh, maybe you fade the rookies, which are going to take a bit more time to develop. The challenge is those are the players that are, are at ADP value and actually going to perform better in theory in the playoffs. So I'm not taking a strong stance there, but if you want to, I get it, especially if you're willing to do it in like a couple drafts where it's like, hey, in this draft, I'm going to fade rookies. I'm just going for that regular season. I don't think it's ideal, but like I get it and I'm okay with it. Um, yeah. From, yeah. I, I don't think there's, I can't think of an easy way to do it. You know, my cheat code was last year, that Burrow Mahomes team that I was telling you about. I mean, I thought, you know, I always felt that when you have two top quarterbacks on the same team, as long as you didn't bleed too much value to be able to put up that top score every week, I do think gives you a, a, a chance to have a high regular season score. Um, you know, just realize in the you're also having now that they're in the top four rounds, know that you're having one of your top four players each week sit on your bench. Right. Um, but I think I, I like what you did, but I think the key is to think about who it's going to be for this year rather than chase what it was for last year, because the market's already corrected, as you said, to, okay, now that would cost you a second and a fourth, but maybe instead it is, okay, you're going to draft fields and maybe it is Anthony Richardson because now you're getting those like, because last year, yes, your Burrow Mahomes was great. It got you the 64, but you know what would have been better is if you would have gone Burrow and Justin Fields because that combo I think it probably actually would have outscored if maybe, maybe it would have outscored, would have gotten pretty close, but you would have then also had like another early round pick or something. So the idea being maybe I can this year not give up that elite QB capital in those three guys, but maybe draft, whether it's Justin Herbert, whether it's Justin Fields, whoever it is, but then pairing it later on with a mid late round guy like an Anthony Richardson, maybe even Bryce Young or Justin Fields, who's or, um, Bryce Young or CJ Stroud that have such a wide range of outcomes because they're rookies. Maybe they rush a lot more and we're just not expecting it. Um, I like the idea of, as you're saying, Hey, optimizing and building for the two elite QBs, but I don't want to expend the capital of two elite QBs in the early rounds. I want to hope that I hit on. I'm almost never, I'm never going to do that unless I get both the stacks and the value, right? Like I took a Josh Allen without digs in the third round the other day. Uh, right in that area where I would consider Lamar Jackson, not not ideal because I didn't have digs, but you know I'll take it. I'll take a round discount because I know I'm not going to get much of it. I think I've gotten Josh Allen there as well, where it's like this is just too much value. I'll find Gabriel Davis and other stacks later on. Yeah, and maybe weeks, you know, maybe week seventeen, Josh Allen, you know, puts up forty five points because all the touchdowns go through his rushing. Right. Like you can at least tell yourself that story. Yeah. Agreed. Um, 
DraftKings is basically offering 10% off to max out the milli this year, and the price is reasonable at $10. What are your thoughts on this contest, especially in the light of the fact that it has over 1,000 people in the final? Correlate week 17 even more than you normally would. Um, also, I mean, they are so soft contests. So I've been doing a bunch of these ones, uh, you know, just because when I've got a couple minutes, I'll throw in. Um, it really feels like from aware, the way that people are drafting, like it, I don't want to get too much in the micro aspects because this is more kind of, you know, a strategy pod. Um, but just start jumping in those and you'll get a feel for it. It really feels like, Wide receivers should be drafted so much earlier and so much more frequently because it's PPR. People who play DFS on DraftKings will understand how you should be drafting these tournaments. And it is more on that focus of, hey, spend up on those wide receivers, get them early and often, wait on the QBs, wait on the tight ends. You have three slots for those. You want to grab an elite tight end, that's perfectly fine as well because they actually, because of PPR, have the ability to really separate themselves. Uh, but think about the extra roster spots you have. Think about the structure of the tournament. Um, and yeah, as you mentioned, a thousand person field for that um, for that week 17, that makes it much that makes it that much more important to actually gain that correlation from a game stacks, from making sure your lineup tells a story, making sure that lineup is really performing as well as possible in that week 17. Yeah, so I, I I agree with that. Um, are there any other contests out there under the radar that you're a big fan of? Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of sites out there. So uh, I haven't been too active on the FFPC, but I know Leone's done some good stuff there. I've been active on the drafter side. I enjoy that where it's, hey, FFPC you know, is my, my baby. There you go. Yeah. And uh, for drafters, it's, hey, I'm going to focus on the regular season. I'm going to build for that. I'm going to focus on really trying to find that uh, nut outcome. And uh, there's ways to kind of, when you know you're only optimizing for the regular season, there's some advantages, um, some edges that you can be gained there. Um, I mean, yeah, it, it's just amazing to see so much innovation and so many offerings out there. Um, I think my favorite that I'm seeing and the ones that I want to see more of are these time box contests where they're going to pretty much close. And so an example was the poodle on underdog a lot. I don't know, a couple of days ago, last week, it literally closed in two days. It was a 20 entry max. Um, and you, I think $7 entry, 20, 20 entry max. And it only lasted for those two days. Would love to see, hey, you can only do fast drafts. You can only draft during this period of time because now you're really taking advantage of what that ADP is and not, oh, I'm just going to wait until June, July, August, draft later, slow them out so I can kind of adjust to whatever the shifting ADP is. No, these are literally happening now, either in or out. All right. So I, I kind of teased that I wanted to run an idea by you. Um, you know, modified Justin Herzig would be, uh, you know, I think you both, you and I both prefer two, but once in a while we'll take three quarterbacks. I think we're both on team late tight end, you know, not every draft, but overall. So two quarterbacks, three tight ends, and take six wide receivers, but take them early, right? You know, for the very reason, you know, one of the things, one of the big things about your famous strategy of robust running back or whatever the official name was, you were drafting four of them, but you were taking them in the top seven rounds because there was such a drop off at the running back position. Now that we're seeing the dead zone kind of be a wide receiver dead zone, do you think it makes sense to, you know, 
take advantage of those wide range of running back outcomes, start late, get six wide receivers, and just basically stop at wide receiver. I do want to protect my reputation, though. It was hyper fragile, and I don't think it was only the top seven rounds because one of the beauties of it was kind of going back. I think it was like round one, three, and maybe five and eight or something. I don't right. remember the one the last one was. Um, but it was dependent maybe, maybe. on who was there. Um, right, and exactly. And I mean, in that structure three years ago, hyper fragile was far more of a you know a legitimate strategy because, as you're saying, like. People were drafting running backs earlier and earlier. So for me, I realized that, hey, I'm not going to be able to get that much running back value in rounds 10, 11, 12 and such. There was a major drop off. So I'm going to focus on devoting a small amount of my actual capital um, in roster spots to those four, drafting them early and then spend the rest of it because I always I was confident I could get wide receiver values in rounds 9, 9 10, 11, 12, 13 and such. Um as the years went on, the last two years, I moved away from hyperfragile with more of a maybe I'm going to draft two early on and then I'll wait until round 10 and draft another three because wide receivers started moving up and I could get running backs that previously were going in the seventh and eighth or are now going in the 10th, 11th and 12th. And so let me get two early on, focus on wide receivers, tight ends, QB or whatever, and draft those three later. What's happening? Wide receivers continue to go up. So your strategy of let me focus on getting six of them as long as you do it in the early spots. Yeah, I'm completely okay with it. Um, For me personally, I think like if I'm thinking through two QB, three tight end, that means that um, I think the tricky part is six wide receivers. You probably want to grab those six in the first seven rounds. Um, meaning your other pick is going to be in this a true zero RB team, or you're grabbing one of your QBs there, a stack partner, and then another QB in the middle area. I think it's completely legitimate. I'd say the most common structure I'm usually I'm doing right now is getting into that wide receiver dead zone around pick 90 uh, with around five wide receivers, which really means like I only have two other spots, which is probably two running backs, a running back, and a onesie position. Um, that's kind of what I've been favoring. Yeah, I, I I think it's very doable. I wouldn't shock me. Now, that being said, I'm not hard and fast on six and stopping. You know, if I get to round 17 and 18 and there's a good wide receiver there, it's the best value on the board. I'm not going to take my seventh running back just so that I can say I did a strategy. You know, a guy like, you know, if I have Aaron Rodgers, a guy like me, Cole Hardman, or, you know, there are guys, like you said, the value goes away, but then it comes back at the end. But I'm I'm okay with, see, to me, the wide receiver drop-off is after Elijah Moore. I feel like right up to Elijah Moore, I, I feel pretty decent about some guys in, in that range. I might not like, you know, Jamison Williams. Um, you know, there's different people that I think have really good upside as a fifth or sixth wide receiver right through Elijah Moore. And then I really don't want to take a, a, a wide receiver for about four rounds. So, you know, if, if, if Elijah's going in the 10th, that means I could get, you know, my two, I could get two, two, six. And, you know, so I, I do think it's doable. 
No, I like that. And yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, everyone's going to have their different kind of takes on where those dead zones or opportunity zones are. Um, and so like, yeah, it's a, just as long as you have a level of comfort with where you see the value pockets in the draft and then you go appropriately. Love it. Yeah. I think that um, we're going to have to stop there. Um, I could talk to Justin for another hour. Um, I wanted to kind of go through some uh, drafts with him, but I think we've reached the end of the line. You can find Justin's work on Establish the Run. He is, in my mind, the preeminent voice of best ball, along with uh, guys like Hayden Winks and Josh Norris, who, um, you know, who do it. Mike Leone is getting right there. There's a lot of really great guys. Mike Leone will be on the podcast in a couple weeks. I'm looking forward to that. I want to thank you, Justin, for coming on. I appreciate it. appreciate the kind of words. And yeah, there are just, it's amazing to see his entire industry. So many smart people so much, who are putting out some amazing content, um, some great ways to think about the game. I've learned so much even the past couple of years from people like you and everyone else in this industry. Uh, it's, it's amazing to see. Yeah. I, I, I do get a kick when I'm in underdog and I see you in the room, you know, <laughs> it, it just makes me want to lift my game a little more. All right, folks, that's going to do it. Thanks again to Justin. And we will see you next week.